couple of months. We still have a couple to go. Tonight we're, we're going to be looking at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> While it is a feast or a festival, as it were, in the proper sense of the word, uh, it's not so much a festive day. It is a time of examination. I find it to be probably the hardest day to study. Yom Teruah, which is the uh, uh, Feast of Trumpets, the last one that we studied, it took us three weeks to do it, but that wasn't hard. That just took a lot of time to go through everything that we could find about the mystery feast. Because it was a mystery, and it is a mystery still, from the standpoint that we didn't know why they blew trumpets. But we know why now, because the Bible says that when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air and forever to be with the Lord. And we're to comfort one another with that. But what happens right after that, you see? Well, we find uh, going from that to this particular event or this particular day called the, the Day of Atonement. It, uh, it really brings the focus back to Israel. And if we are looking at things prophetically, then everything has fallen into place as far as the times that they're to fall in, you know, to fall in place. For example, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits all together had to do with Jesus, uh, his life as the Lamb of God being given and sacrificed for our sins, the unleavened bread. Uh, you know, when he died on our behalf, the bread that is pierced, the bread that is striped, all reminders of what he did, uh, was buried. And then, of course, uh, the Feast of First Fruits, he, on that day he rose from the dead. You know, so all of those things fell into place. And then came the Feast of Pentecost, which is the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of, of, uh, of Harvest. And of course, that, that brought about, that came at the very moment, you know, that, that the church was, was born. Well, the other way around, you know, the church was born at the very moment of Pentecost, uh, the great harvest. So all of those fell into place. But then there comes this big stretch of months before the fall feasts. And uh, it doesn't seem that far from that, from that time, but, but it, it gives us an indication that there's time that uh, prevails before between, you know, the, the, the time of the Gentiles, as it were, or as, as, as it is the church, uh, age to the blowing of the trumpets in prophetic language and in prophetic time. So that is yet to happen. But that, if that's going to happen in place and in line, then that blowing of the trumpets had to be understood. But what comes after the blowing of the trumpets within, those same, uh, within the same seventh month the month of Tishri, 
what we have is then 10 days from the blowing of the trumpet to the day of atonement. So there's a significant time, and we're not going to see it very clearly here tonight, but there is a time frame within those 10 days where there's seven days, seven days that are significant because those will represent the seven years of tribulation, the continuation of the judgment that has to be finished upon Israel for them to have finished their 490 years of, of uh, chastisement uh, that they've had to go through. God is very specific about those years because he's specific about them in, in the scriptures. The book of Daniel, we're going to close with Daniel later, but, but we're going to come back to that time that it, it mentions those 490 years, the 70 weeks of years. And, and those are the seven years that we are focusing upon on this one day called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. So let's read, uh, let's read the text from Leviticus 23, and then we're going to stay kind of in Leviticus most through this, mostly through this particular study because there's other references that bring to mind for us uh, what takes place on the Day of Atonement. So we begin with verse 26, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. The way it is here in the scriptures is uh, Yom Kippurim, or Yom HaKippurim, which means day of atonement. But I'll talk about the... the uh, what's multiplied, because that's a plural. Anytime you end in I am, and it is here in the text. But nonetheless, it's Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippurim in this case. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. I think that word afflict kind of signifies that we're not doing some kind of festive thing. And you shall do no work on that same day. The same direction that is for all of the feasts. There shall be no work on that day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. So this is one of the most serious of days within the context of all of the feasts of Israel. Because if you don't afflict yourself, and we'll come to an understanding of that affliction in a moment, but if that is not, if you are not conscious of doing that, or if you're not doing it, then you will be cut off from among the people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, in other words, you disregard what the Lord has commanded about the day of atonement, the same soul will I, des- will I destroy from among his people. And that, so that's pretty strong, it's pretty strong language. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So not only just as, as a, as a uh, corporate uh, uh, commandment to all of the people in, uh, uh, in Israel, but 
in every house, in every household, which brings to mind the requirement of those who are the leaders of the home, in particular the fathers or the men, uh, to make sure that everyone is, is following this commandment. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. By the way, a Sabbath of rest in the Hebrew is Shabbat Shabbaton. Shabbat Shabbaton. A Sabbath of, of a seven-day rest. So this is, the, this is the, the, the terminology that I wanted to bring about, about those seven days within the ten days of the days of awe, the days of, uh, uh, of remembrance, as it were. Uh, it shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even from even unto even, which means from evening unto evening shall you celebrate your Sabbath. If you can read that, it's from Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And if you've been to the wall, to the western wall, some of you may, may have been at that very spot. I, I'm thinking over the time, I think I've been there too. Uh, there, it, it, there's only one wall, so you know, that's, it's only stretches so far. So, you, you know, you get a chance to stand anywhere that you want, if you can. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> it occurs on the 10th day of Tishri, or the seventh month. Again, seven is a very significant number. Seven has been a significant number, not only for our study of the feasts, but also of how it pays uh, uh, or plays into our understanding of of the end times. It is the final day of the ten days of remembrance. The ten days of remembrance, which began with Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teruah, the day of the awakening blast. According to Leviticus chapter 16, Yom Kippur was a day of a solemn fast on which no food or drink could be consumed, and on which all work was forbidden. The solemnity of the occasion is highlighted by the fact that God said that anyone who did not afflict his soul on that day would be cut off from the community. Uh, so that's serious business. So if you'll turn with me to Leviticus 16, we'll see this beginning at verse 29. And it's important for us to look at this passage in light of, of just the general announcement of the day of, of, of atonement. It says in verse 29, And this shall be a statute forever unto you. Now, notice that forever, because we think that forever means forever. Well, it does here too. God wants us to remember these things forever. And that's a hard concept for us to understand because we don't know much about forever. We use the term, you know, like guys used to, you know, they used to carve a, a, little, a little heart in, in their desk, you know, at school. And then, you know, so-and-so and me forever, you know. 
and, and next week it was with somebody else. So anyway, y'all understand, right, what I'm saying? Okay. We don't understand the concept of forever in these, in these bodies of ours, in these finite minds. But it says, this shall be a statute forever unto you that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. So even if, there, if, if people came into, let's say, Jerusalem and, and it was on this day, they couldn't even do anything. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now we have mentioned here a priest. Whereas in the general statement about the Day of Atonement, it just tells us what happens on that day. But here specifically, now you'll notice that this is a few chapters before chapter 23. So we're already being given the instructions even more clearly about this day. The priest is to make an atonement for you. To cleanse you. That you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest. And his name is Yeshua. His name is Jesus. He's our high priest. Who made atonement for us with his own blood to cleanse us that we may be clean from all of our sins. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you again, Shabbat Shabbaton, and you shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And it doesn't sound like a happy thing to do. So it's a serious thing. There's a seriousness here. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, everlasting, eternal, forever, to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So, from these two passages in the book of Leviticus, Yom Kippur is the holiest day. It is the holiest day of the Jewish year and provides prophetic insight regarding the second coming of Mashiach, the second coming of the Messiah, the restoration of national Israel. The restoration of national Israel. Folks, when we hear forever, eternal, everlasting, 
and this is directed to Israel, is it not something that God is serious about doing? That if even with Israel falling as much as they did over the thousands of years that they were messing up, that God said, but I'm not done with you. Why then do people today think that Israel is done for? And that whoever they are in the land today isn't really national Israel. Seems to me they're national Israel because God isn't done with them. Israel again, and I say this after years of teaching prophecy, that Israel is the key to all prophecy. There can be no true understanding about prophecy without Israel being around. And Israel is around. And prophecies are being fulfilled today. The prophecies that say that the world is just falling apart. That the love of many is, is, is growing cold because of the iniquity and the, and, and the, law, the lawlessness that's taking place in our, in our world today. All these things are giving us insight into the very fact that everything about Israel is true. Not just when God had to scatter them after A.D. 70. But it's just as true today. And so, it brings to mind the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. To restore his people. And the final judgment of the world is going to take place as well. When we read the book of Revelation that covers most of what is called the day of the Lord. By the way, here's the day of the Lord. Yom Adonai is called the day of the Lord. For us, it is not a one-day period or an extended day. It is seven years. The better part of seven years. Because it hasn't even started yet, and we already see the signs taking place. We already see what Jesus said. These things are going to be happening, but it hasn't started yet. So the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is also a day that reveals the high priestly work of Yeshua, the high priestly work of Jesus, as our Kohan Gadol. Kohan Gadol, which means our high priest. Kohan or Kohen, some people call it Kohen, but the, the Kohen is the priest. That's the name for priest. Gadol is the high priest. So, Kohan Gadol. And our high priest is after the order of Malkisedek. Malkisedek. We call it Melchizedek. Same, you know, that's just the, the Hebrew word. And I, wa- I want to take you through that so you can see now the connection between the priest working in the Day of Atonement and the priest that works on our behalf. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1. So here Paul is establishing an understanding of the priesthood when it comes to the Day of Atonement, when it comes to Yom Kippur, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So he gives us a little indication of what the... the, the, uh, uh, responsibilities of the high priests 
uh, are, uh, who can have a compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So a priest can understand the burdens of people who are going through the times of struggle and trial because he himself is a sinner. That's, that's the point here, that he himself is a sinner. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. So he's not only offering uh, sacrifices for the people, but he's also doing it for himself because he needs it. He's not above the people. The, folks, get this. He's not above the people. I'm talk, we're talking about the priest of Israel. And no man taketh the dishonor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So as Aaron called, or as God called Aaron, and of course then came the line of, of priests, uh, the, the Levites as it were, but they were called of God. You, don't, you just didn't make yourself a priest. You couldn't be in the tribe of, uh, you know, of, of Manasseh or any other tribe and say, you know, well, I want to be a priest. No, you, had, you were called of God. You came from a specific tribe because that's where God called you into, right? So this is what he's explaining. So, he says, also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. We'll look at those scriptures in the, in, in the book of Psalms in just a moment. Because here's another one. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melch- Melchizedek, or Malchizedek. After that order, he says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We saw this on on Sunday morning. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. In other words, he took upon himself flesh, but he was without sin. He stayed without sin. He was always without sin. And then it says in verse 10, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Folks, That's not the same order of priesthood. It's a different order of priesthood because this priesthood requires that the person who is the priest has no sin. Totally different. If you go to the next chapter, Hebrews 6, verse 20, again is mentioned Melchizedek, Whither, uh, where the forerunner for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever. Notice forever after the order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek. Now, Paul has used the Hebrew scriptures to establish this. For example, in Psalm 2 verse 7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The Lord said unto me, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is, 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 is God, uh, Yahweh, or Jehovah, uh, or Hashem. Uh, the Lord has said unto me, if this is, is David, of course, David is saying, in the sense of uh, prophetic line, this is Jesus. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. This begotten thee here is not that he was born, but it was that he was 
called to do this particular uh, uh, priesthood. Psalm 110 verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek. So now we see the distinction between Jesus, our high priest, and the priest, though, that was mentioned for the Day of Atonement. But, but nonetheless, there's still the Day of Atonement. <laughs> so the term Yom Kippur is actually written, as I said in the plural, Yom HaKippurim, more than likely because the process of purification, listen, the process of purification cleansed from a multitude of sins. It cleansed uh, from a multitude of sins, iniquities, and transgressions. It wasn't just one sin or a selective sin. It was a multitude of sins. Can you imagine? You carry all of these things for a year. All of these sins. And then every year you've got to come before the Lord on this Day of Atonement. So it's like Yom Kippur is now Yom HaKippurim. Bring all your sins, you know, for a year's time. But however, the name also refers to the two great atonements given by the Lord. The two great atonements, Kippurim, given by the Lord. The first atonement is for those among the nations that turn to Yeshua, that turn to Jesus for cleansing and forgiveness. That's you. That's to the Jew and to the, to the Gentile. You've turned to the Lord and he has cleansed you. And the second for the purification of ethnic Israel during Yom Adonai, which is, of course, the great day of the Lord at the end of days, the seven-year period. That is an atonement period. That is the day of the Lord. Why do you think it's called now the day of the Lord, yet it's seven years long? Because it is the day of atonement for Israel. It is the day of atonement for Israel. As we've already read, the Torah states that Yom Kippur was the only time when the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and call upon the name of Yahweh or Hashem or God Almighty to offer blood sacrifices for the sins of the people. The only time it would be on this day. It was now this life for a life principle, right? Life for a life principle. One life for others or one life for another. But this, it was for this life for a life principle that became the foundation for the sacrificial system and established the great day of intercession made by the high priest on behalf of Israel. 
But folks, we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when, when God took two, what we would consider to be two lambs and sacrificed them for their skins to cover Adam and Eve. So in fact, that was the first and the, the establishment of the life for a life principle of sacrificial offering. Now in, t- in traditional Judaism, the day of Yom Kippur marks the climax of the 10-day period of repentance called the Days of Awe. And I think I have a slide for the Hebrew name. The Days of Awe is Yamim Noraim. Yamim, yamim Noraim. Noraim. According to the elders and the mentors of, of Jewish tradition, they're called the sages of, of, of Jewish tradition. According to them, on Rosh Hashanah, the destiny of the righteous, <clears throat> the righteous are called Tzadikim. Tzadikim. The destiny of the righteous is written in the book of life. And the destiny of the wicked, which are called Reshaim, are written in the book of death. Now, Think about that for a moment. And if you've been here with us the last couple of weekends in the Gospel of John, we looked at a passage in John chapter 5 where Jesus kind of refers to a resurrection that would be a resurrection of those into life and a resurrection for those who are going to be judged for their sins. And so there is some connection to that here in this particular uh, uh, interpretation of the Jewish traditions that on the day of Rosh Hashanah the righteous have their names written in the book of life and the, and the wicked have their names written in the book of death. But something to understand here is that nevertheless most people will not be inscribed in either book but they will have ten days. They will have ten days until Yom Kippur, in other words, from Rosh Hashanah, 10 days to repent before sealing their fate. And so the term, and I mentioned this term last week, Aseret Yemei Teshuvah, Aseret Yemei Teshuvah, which is the 10 days of repentance. Teshuvah is repentance. 10 days of repentance. You've got time to be sealed. You've got time to be sealed. But let me ask you this. If we are already in Christ today, well, your name is already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But if your name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, how much time do we have? You see, just recently, we've, we've already gone through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. They've, they've already come and gone for this year. But how much time do we have? Because who knows the day or the hour? We don't know. This is why it is so important for us to be right with God now. Now is the day 
of salvation. That, that's, that's why that's so important to understand. Today, now, is important because we don't know what is yet to come. When, in the sense of what is going to be happening. So, I, I, I failed to mention this when we started, but I, I, I had this tremendous burden on my mind and heart that we don't understand this particular feast as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, because we, we've kind of said, well, I'm already saved. Yeah. And, and that's true. But we can't live our lives flippantly as if these things don't matter because they still matter. And I think that the one thing that is stated in in Leviticus, as we've already read, is that one simple term, forever. Paul, when, when, when Paul speaks to the church in the second letter to to the Corinthians, and even the first letter, there is, a, there is a reference to our examination. He said, examine yourselves to see that you are in the faith. And he says this to believers. He says this to the church. We're not talking about losing salvation. We're, we're talking about always remembering where we have been, where God has brought us through, what he has brought us through, to where we are today. And to realize that there are so many others that have yet to come to Christ. Do you see now why it's so important for us to have an understanding of the solemnity of a day like Yom Kippur? It can't be taken for granted and it can't be taken lightly. So let's consider the meaning of the word Kippur because if we don't understand that, it would just we say, well, it means the Day of Atonement. But Well, what does that mean? So the root for Kippur in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word kafar or kofer. You can spell it with a K or a Q. Kafar or kofer. And it means ransom. It means ransom. This word is a parallel to the word redeem that is found in Psalm 49. So I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 49. Because in Psalm 49, I want you to listen to what the psalmist says. In Psalm 49, verse 6, he says, They that trust in, the, in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Notice in verse 7, None of them, none of them can by any means, can by any means redeem his brother, kafar, nor give to God a ransom, kafar, for him. Now, the gist of this passage here is that life is too costly for a man to redeem or even ransom another person's life, even by great riches. In other words, wealth cannot prevent death. Excuse me. I did a smart thing. I turned my mic off before I coughed. Didn't want to gross you out. So, the purpose of the psalm is to encourage faith 
in the resurrection by God's power. I'll just read down, if you're in Psalm 49, just read down, to verse, uh, or read down to verse 15. Verse 15 tells us what, you know, the point of the, whole, of the whole psalm. But I bring this up because of those words, redeem and ransom. Because the words redeem and ransom in this case mean to atone by offering a substitute. To atone by offering a substitute. Wealth is not a substitute. In other words, in the context of this psalm, wealth is not a substitute. What we find throughout the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Scriptures, is that the idea of making an atonement, making an atonement involves the priestly ritual of sprinkling of sacrificial blood to remove sin or defilement. The lifeblood of the sacrificial animal was required in exchange for the lifeblood of the worshiper. Symbolically, innocent life given for guilty life. Innocent life given for guilty life. This symbolism is further clarified by the action of the worshiper in placing their hands on the head of the sacrifice and confessing their sins over the animal which was killed or sent out as a scapegoat. If you've kept your finger in Leviticus, go back to chapter 16 and look at verse 21. And again, I want you to notice that all of this was already given before the feasts were established. So it was something that was of great importance even before the seven feasts were established for, the, for all of Israel to know that together they were to be celebrated and observed. Leviticus 16.21 says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. That's an interesting study. We could do a, actually a whole study on the scapegoat. The scapegoat is called Azazel, which, which is actually a demon. It's a kind of a demon a, a term for a, for a demon, actually. But it's interesting that that's carried out there and taken out in a way into the wilderness. But uh, as I said, that, that, would be a, that would be a whole study in itself. <clears throat> but the root word for Kippur also appears in the term, in the term kaporet, kaporet, which is used for the so-called mercy seat. You all know what the mercy seat is. How many of you know about the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant, okay. There's the Ark of the Covenant. The top cover is the mercy seat that has the two angels facing each other and the angels' wings practically touching or possibly touching. But the cover itself is the kaporet. In the, uh, in the Greek, it is the bima seat. The bima seat. And we apply it to the seat of, the judgment seat of Christ. And, and so, the, the, the word for that cover is kaporet. Kaporet. Again, dealing with mercy, dealing with sacrifice dealing with life for life 
And that is called the place of atonement. The place of atonement. The caporet was uh, the sacred chest. It was, was the cover of the sacred chest. The Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and the temple where the sacrificial blood was presented. It was presented at that mercy seat. And to understand the importance of blood throughout all of the book of Leviticus, we, we're just covering little bits and pieces. I, I, feel, I feel that, you know, we covered so much on, 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 on trumpets, but, but here it, it, it's, it, 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 there's so many other things to, to try to tie all together. I'm trying to be as, as, as concise as I can in general, but nonetheless, there's still little things that might be missing, but but we have to talk about that which was presented at the mercy seat, and that is the blood. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh a kippur, an atonement, a kippurim for the soul. It is the blood. And by the way, in that passage in, Le- in Leviticus 17, there is the warning of not having or eating or drinking blood at all. Because it is the life of the flesh that is in the blood. That's another teaching in itself. So now, the central message of the book of Leviticus, the central message is that God is holy and we must be holy in our lives as well. And this means, first of all, being conscious of the distinction between the sacred and the profane, being conscious of the distinction between the clean and the unclean, conscious of the distinction between the holy and the common. That is a responsibility that we, are, we all are given. God is holy. And we must be holy as well. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, if we've read our, if we've read our Bible, if we've read our scriptures, Old and New Testament, we, we realize something. We realize that in and of ourselves, we cannot be holy. We have to die to ourselves to let Christ live in us. But we know that. That, but, but keep this in mind, because in Leviticus chapter 10, and I'd like for you to turn there to Leviticus chapter 10, I want you to notice what is stated in verses 8 through 11. It says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink thou, nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. 
It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So notice a phrase forever here. And that you may put difference. In other words, that you may know the distinction between the holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. That's, that's, that's a high calling, isn't it? It is important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to know and to understand how this all pertains to us as the church. Because I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want you to see what Peter writes. Now remember, Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a theologian. But Peter knew the Word of God. Peter listened to Jesus teach. And I say that because listen to what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. To the church, he says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, to gird up means to bind, you know, to tie all of the, you know, the, 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 the girding up was, was like, like taking your robe. If you had to run fast, you had to lift this robe up and tie it so that you could be free to run or else you'll trip all over yourself, right? So it was a means of, of preparing yourself for something, preparing yourself to move, to battle, to whatever it is, but you gird up the loins of your mind, he says. Be sober. Well, what did, it, what did Aaron's, uh, uh, what was the instruction Aaron and his sons? Don't go into the tabernacle you know, don't, don't, don't drink wine and go into the tabernacle or strong drink, you know, or else you're going to die. There's a fear factor here, but it's the proper kind of fear that we're to have. We're to fear the Lord and believe and trust what he says. So we have to understand this. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And then he says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So Peter quotes from Leviticus. And I can tell you this, there's a few times in the book of Leviticus that the Lord reminds the people of this very same principle. Be holy because I am holy. Be ye holy because I am holy. Be Separate, 
Know the distinction between right, wrong, good, evil, clean, unclean, profane, and holy. Or profane and sacred, holy and, and unholy. Know the difference. Because in Leviticus eleven forty four it says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, which means be holy, set yourselves apart, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Notice, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The context is in, is in your diet, what you eat. Leviticus 19, verse 2, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the, for I the Lord, your God, am holy. You know, we constantly say, you know, Jesus is our example as, as how we're to live. Why, why He came to be the Son of Man. We just talked about this on Sunday. Why He's called the Son of Man? Because He became man to give us that example to follow. We follow Him because He's holy. How about Leviticus 20, verse 7? Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord. For I am the Lord your God. Sanctify yourselves and be ye holy. In other words, set yourselves apart. Be holy, because I am God, and I am holy. Well, let's quickly look, if we can, at the, at the implications or the prophetic implications of Yom Kippur because we haven't even touched upon those yet. The Day of Atonement can be seen as a picture of Israel's national repentance as they go through the seven years of tribulation that is left for them to finish. Daniel the prophet laid this out in the ninth chapter of his prophecy. In fact, it is all found in one verse. But that verse is packed with things that are all related to the nation of Israel in the last days. So turn to Daniel chapter 9 and look at verse 24. Many of you might remember this from our study in Daniel, which wasn't that long ago. And Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 is a long, long verse. But as, it, as, as I mentioned, it is quite filled with, with a lot of information. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Daniel, who are your people and what's your holy city? Your people is Israel. Your holy city is Jerusalem. So we know now what this is all about. Seventy weeks is 70 weeks of years. Already determined as we've studied the book of Daniel to make that very clear. And it says, to finish. Notice this list. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That's a lot of stuff to do. But that's over a period of how long? 70 weeks of years is 490 years. But in verse 27 it tells us that at one point Messiah would be cut off. After 69 weeks of years, 483 years have already been accomplished. And then all of a sudden, Messiah is cut off and the people are scattered. 
And this 70, or I should say this seven week, uh, or this week of seven years, that's what I should say. This week of seven years remains. That is very clear in our study of the book of Daniel. So, the implication then from our text is that Daniel has, has been reading about the seven, 70 years of captivity, and that's been multiplied because of the, the fact that they had disobeyed God as it came to the, to the sabbatical year. They, they had not kept the sabbatical year for seven years, so 70 times seven was 490 years. So what will the end of these 490 years bring to the nation of Israel? What it brings is this. And this, will all, this would all be coming out of the, uh, the seven-year period, uh, culminating there in the seven-year period. Uh, it is to finish the transgression. You see that? And by the way, keep in mind that these things have not been fully completed as of yet, especially this part. To finish the transgression, the Lord will bring to an end Israel's rebellion against Him. The next one, to make an end of sins. To make an end of sins is because Israel missed the mark with the Lord by their immorality and by their idolatry. They missed the mark, therefore they're going to be uh, chastised for it, but they're going to be brought to that end where that it's all already covered and taken care of. Then there, then there is the making of reconciliation for iniquity. This, of course, was accomplished at the cross of, of Calvary by Jesus Christ but will not be fully recognized until he returns. That's why today most, most Jews don't, don't believe in, in Yeshua. They don't believe in Jesus. There are some that do. And then they look at the cross and they say, hey, you know, that, that was for us. That's right. But keep that in mind because we move on to the next uh, point, and that is to bring in everlasting righteousness. So to bring in everlasting righteousness, we can clearly see today that righteousness is far from the people of the world, including many in Israel today. So there's no, they're not righteous yet, but God is working on that, see? And we've got to let God work on that righteousness for the, for the Jewish people. And then to seal up the vision and the prophecy speaks of bringing to a close all visions and prophecies which will occur when Yeshua HaMashiach sits on the throne of David to rule as king. Meaning that the Lord will be with us and will speak to us directly. And then lastly, to anoint the most holy. To anoint the most holy. And that, that's leading us to the next festival, which is truly a festival, which is the day of what? Tabernacles. Tabernacles. Sukkot which is next week, okay? Unless I do another two weeks on Yom Kippur, which I don't really want to do. <laughs> so Yom Kippur represents the affliction, listen, the affliction and salvation of Israel during the seven years of tribulation or the day of the Lord before the second coming of Messiah. The day of the Lord. It's an, there was an interesting pattern that we read about the 10 days. It said on the ninth day, in the evening, from evening to evening, giving one day before 
the Day of Atonement. That may very well play into the understanding that the seven years is really one day for them in, in this event we call Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement for Israel to repent of their sins and receive Yeshua. Now here's how we want to close. Because they have to recognize. They have to recognize the sacrifice. They have to recognize the offering. They have to recognize the priest who offers the sacrifice for them. They have to recognize. So turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12. And in verse 9 it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, notice the day of the Lord is called that day, that's always a significant marker for us. That day is the seven-year period. But it says, It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Because remember this, God is not only dealing with, 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 with Israel, He's also using this time to prepare the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations. And most nations, as we're moving towards that day, are beginning to turn against Israel, even our own country. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. He's going to pour out this spirit upon Israel. And notice what happens. He pours out the spirit upon Israel. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and who will they recognize and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn the affliction of the soul what is that that's the day of atonement the affliction of their soul when they look upon him whom they pierced, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The high priest who offers the sacrifice for them. Jesus offered freely his, himself Remember always this, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It was for them first. This is the language of Kippur. The language of Yom Kippur. In that day shall there be a great morning in Jerusalem as the morning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddon. It's just mentioning actually an Assyrian uh, king. I say then, has God... Oh, wait, I got ahead of myself. Okay. So there we are. 
There are so many other verses of Scripture that they will recognize the Lord when He comes on that day. At the end of the day of atonement. Because once they recognize Him, the affliction, the weeping, the mourning, the bitterness. But He's come for them. He's come. And those who weep and mourn shall be lifted up and shall be saved. How do we know? Because Paul tells us. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Wow. It sounds like the Apostle Paul is right here, right now, in 2015, saying to the bunch of idiots out there who think that, you know, they've given up, you know, God's given up on Israel. And he says, has God cast away his people? God forbid. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What you not, what would the, the scripture saith of Elijah? Don't you know? Don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah? Don't you know this? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at, his, at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God has his people. He knows where they are. You ever heard that statement? You know, there were people that used to teach, you know, that uh, uh, there's ten, the, the ten lost tribes of Israel. Have you ever heard that? You know, there were, there were two tribes that they knew where they were, but there are ten lost tribes, you know. The tribes are not lost. God knows where they are. He'll gather them when he wants to gather them together because he knows where the remnant is. And then in verse 6 it says, And if by grace then is it no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. And this comes back to what we were saying the other day about grace. And we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That applies to all people. The Jews as well. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to, his, to, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, to as many as believe in his name, both Jew and Gentile. It all works the same way. The only difference is we've come to the Lord. As I mentioned last time, we're not better than the Jews. We're not better than they are. God knows what he's doing. His saving us in his time was for us. He says, my people, I know how I will deal with them. I've given them every sign. I've given them every way to know who I am. I've given them every way to know what the sacrifice is for them. But the time will come when they will see him whom they pierced. And that's my son. 
And I've sent him to save them. And Paul said, all Israel will be saved. Notice verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The fullness of the Gentiles. We're still there. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written. Notice this. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So, we have to understand the Day of Atonement. We need to understand it not just for ourselves. Not just to remember what our responsibility is as believers in Jesus Christ. What we are to do in our lives to reflect the love of Christ, to reflect the power of God's mercy and grace. But we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're to pray for the Jewish people. We're to to witness to them the love of Christ. We're to always know that God has a plan for them. And we need to keep looking at Israel. We need to keep looking at these people. They're suffering so much today. That's the reason why we go to Israel. It always helps Israel when believers, when true believers go and and support them and show them that we're not afraid to be with them in in their roughest times. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for Israel. And so we've touched a little bit upon Yom Kippur. I have to say that because, again, I think we could be here another two weeks. But we'll press on. I'm really trying to get to the book of Ezekiel because we need to get to the book of Ezekiel. There's a lot of things there that we need to study. Good, good stuff. Stuff to help us in our daily walk. Stuff to help us in understanding the last days as well. So we're getting there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your grace. I pray, Father, that, uh, Lord, you've helped to bring us to an understanding of, uh, uh, from a, a lot of places we've been, Lord, scattered as we were maybe today. But uh, in reality, Lord, we, we thank you because it, it makes us realize, Lord, that we can't, uh, we can't take anything for granted. Lord, we need to... We need, to, uh, we need to always keep our focus on your word, our focus on you, our eyes lifted up waiting for you, our feet going where you want us to go, our hands doing what you want us to do, our eyes being focused on things that are good and not the things that are evil our ears hearing what is right and good, not the things that, that tear down the things that you've made to be good. We're blessed so much, Lord. We're blessed by your love, by your mercy. Help us in understanding all of these things, Lord, a better, in a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you.
and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Be blessed. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. Be still properly. Be still properly and know that he is God. Don't go into these places of, you know, being still like, well, I have to be quiet so I can hear. No, no, be still. In other words, know that he's God. Just know that he's God. These are the be words that we need to consider. Be strong. Be encouraged. Be blessed. Be filled. And may God use you and bless you. In Jesus' name. After Elizabeth leads us in. I didn't know who was back there. Uh, in a song, uh, if you need prayer, uh, someone will come up here and be available to pray for you. Have a wonderful rest of the week.